Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Grateful for all you, our listeners, that tune in and listen to these stories. Grateful for the listenership and all you're doing to share the podcast with others. But the real heroes of the podcast are the guests that come on and bravely share their stories. I think this is like the most vulnerable podcast that I'm aware of and really heroes in my life that bravely step forward and share their story. And sharing of real stories helps others. So my guest on today's podcast is a married couple, been married 28 years, Scott and Molly Hickson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're so glad to be here. Molly, since you took on this name when you got married, will you spell this name to our listeners so they know how to spell it? H-I-X-S-O-N. There you go, listeners. <laughs> this couple is going to share their story together. They intentionally came together because both parts of this story is important. Um, Scott identifies as gay or SSA. He'll talk more about that. Um, he's in his 50s. They've been married 28 years. And Scott came out to his wife 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that process and what's happened in the last 15 years. This is a wonderful marriage. As I visited with this couple, this is a real, authentic, great marriage. And they're here as equal partners wanting to share this story for partners that are straight partners or partners that aren't straight or just people wanting to better support couples like Scott and Molly and see their gifts and unique life mission. They both have served missions. Scott served in Spain. Molly served in England, London. They met at Utah State. They are the parents of five children, one grandchild. They live in Leighton, Utah. Scott grew up in Bountiful. And Molly grew up in a few different places. Tell our listeners where you grew up, Molly. Uh, born in Cedar City. Parents are from Kansas, and we lived there for a while. You know, listeners, this will just be a podcast that hopefully will help you um, as you listen to a couple that's walking this road. I There's great principles of creating strong marriages that I think they'll share. So even if you're in a straight marriage or you're straight and you're going to be in a straight marriage, one of the things I think you'll pick up on this podcast is just tools to help you have a better marriage. Um, The things that they share scale broader than just couples in what's called a mixed orientation marriage where both aren't straight. I think that'll, and I think it'll help you if you're LGBTQ. I think it'll help you if you're a local leader, if you're a parent. Um, just because of the things that Scott has been willing to share and learn and the things that they've learned together. And Molly, Molly wasn't a reluctant partner to come to this podcast. Um, Molly's here, and as I've met with her, she wants to be here. Um, she wants to be a voice for perhaps straight spouses, for parents. Both of you can be a voice for that, for just for... She has things that will be very helpful that I think will be helpful for you. So that's my six-minute introduction, <laughs> listeners. And if I do a good job, I won't say much the rest of the podcast, but I'll just turn it over to you, to wherever you want to start. Well, thank you so much. Um, I am super, super happy and uh, proud of Molly that she's sitting here next to me because um, I would not be here without her, and I have to recognize her for that. So. Um, really, I think probably the best one, one thing that's interesting as we've been listening to your podcast and, and all the many voices that are out there, um, is how that each I'm in my fifties, like you said, and each of these generations have kind of a version, their similarities, I think, um, how, when they decide to come out or to tell their story and, and, and my journey is 
is similar to some of those, but there's unique things that happen to me as well as just moments that um, I've been able to learn from that I hope will help others. But I, I, when I first started, you know, as a youth, even like looking at pornography and stuff like that. And I, and I, I knew that it was more than just that. I knew that there were attractions, but I, but I loved the gospel and I've always wanted, I've always felt that love. And, and I've always felt like the spirit was um, prompting me and guiding me in my life. And um, anyway, uh, when I would talk to my bishops, because I knew that was what I needed to do with some of my behaviors um, I never would say I would I would always go and and tell them about some of my behaviors and stuff, but I I never went all the way and told them like I'm attracted to men or I'm looking at gay pornography or things like that. I never was brave enough to say that. And I would always just go just enough to and and back then too, it's like pornography was not like everywhere. And the my first really exposure with it was just finding a magazine. And, uh, and, and just like, what in the world is this and not, and just keeping it and, and knowing that I shouldn't, but things like that. But I, I wanted to make sure that I was good and could advance. Um, and so I would go to bishops, but anyway, um, just saying enough kind of kept me going. Um, but the funny thing is, is like, even though I knew I had these feelings and stuff, I did not want to be gay. I did not want it. And so I would do anything and everything I could to just like ignore it and push it aside. And I remember once, you know, when you go to get your school pictures every year um, and this was in junior high and I got, I went to go get my yearbook picture and my mom had signed me up to get, I don't know, packet B or whatever it is to get a set. And um, they just paged over the office that pictures were ready to be picked up. And so I went into the office to pick up my picture and um, they took the picture and I looked at it and I, I was just mortified because I looked gay in it. And I just remember I, the way my pose was, the way my smile was, I just, I hated it from the moment. I, and, and so I, for, I don't know why I did this, but I told the secretary, I said, that's not me. I don't know who that is. And she's like, yes, it is. And I'm like, mm -mm, no, that's not me. I don't, I don't know what you're thinking. And I just walked out of the office. And uh, I don't know how we got those pictures because we do have them at home. They must have called my mom and said, these pictures are here and he won't come and pick them up and come and pick them up. But I just, I would not accept it because, and, and it was just like those moments where I wasn't, like my behaviors weren't super masculine or something like that. I hated, I hated it. And, and I just like, please like make these things go away. And back in the day, my mom and dad would take family movies on the super eight films. And so it was always just silent. And I, even watching them as a youth, I loved the sound of the projector going as you're watching these movies. But when I was five years old, we went to California and went to the beach and uh, whenever we'd watch five these family movies, there was this scene of me that my dad filmed playing on the beach. And I, to, from my eyes, I just looked so, I just didn't look like a, 
a masculine kid. And I just remember like the wave would roll in and I'd run away from the wave and I'd go up and how I was holding my hands and how I was acting. I, I wasn't acting like my brothers. And I hated that. When that scene would come on, I would just like, I would hate that scene because I'm looking at myself thinking like, that's not how men act. That's not how boys act. And by this time, you know, I'm in high school and junior high and I'm just looking at this and I'm just like, I mean, I always felt different. I think that's a common phrase is always feeling different. But when I would see it and I, and I would recognize it in me, I would just like be mortified. And I'd just be like, no, I'm not. Cause I didn't want to be that. Um, and that just kind of continued because I saw it in me but what was hard is when other people would see it in me and call it out. And that kind of started um, in junior high is probably, and I think kids can be mean to one another, you know? And um, I mean, I remember in sixth grade, um, there was a boy that I kind of had, I would just, I was drawn to him. I was attracted to him some way. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to describe the feelings I had as a sixth grader. But I remember I wanted to take a camera. We were having a party that day and I wanted to take a camera um, to take pictures. And back in the day, you know, there's no phones. You have to actually develop the film. But um, I took because I wanted to take a picture of this kid. And uh, I, we still have that picture. Every once in a while, I'll scroll through it and I'll see it. And I just and I remember I'm taken right back to that moment, how I was just drawn to him. And I remember the class and I remember um, all of those things because I was just drawn to him. And I didn't really know why at that time, but I just knew it was there. And then in junior high, I would have people kind of like bully me and they'd call me um, all the words that you call somebody who you think is gay and effeminate. And even though I don't necessarily feel like I'm effeminate, but I, ha I wasn't like super masculine either. And for whatever reason, I didn't let it bother me, at least on the outside. Uh, on the inside, I took it and buried it, but I just kind of moved on. And that continued even through high school. I, I remember standing in the lunch line once and I was just waiting and there were some football players behind me and one of them pinched me on my butt and I'm just standing there. I'm like, and I just kind of turned back and like looked at them and they just kind of started laughing and they did it again. And, and I'm just like, I, I didn't know. I didn't engage them. I didn't want to other than like looking at them. Um, but I just got my food, went back to my friend table and just carried on. And I didn't, I didn't let it affect me that way, even though inside it did, it, it started to contribute to that narrative that I needed to hide this. Um, because if it were known, this is the reactions I would get. I would, people would tease me, people would, and I would be rejected. And so that was kind of that just started that forceful narrative that starts to control you and the actions you do and the decisions and choices that you make. And um, anyway, I loved the gospel. I still do. And um, one thing about, I mean, I love how president Nelson talks about the covenant path. And if you think about it, that starts way when we're young and, and, and one of the things about, especially for men in the gospel is, you just, everything's kind of set out for you. You know, you're eight, you get baptized, then you go three and you turn 12, you turn 14, you just have all these things lined out for you. And it was just like this 
path I could follow. And I'd talk to a bishop if I felt unworthy, and I'd just kind of go forward. And and um, I always felt the Spirit with me when I needed it. There were moments, and 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 there are multiple forks in my road. And in every single one of those moments, I really felt directed by the Spirit. And um, and it helped me. But the funny thing about that path is it doesn't involve a woman until after your mission. <laughs> and so, you know, I loved my mission. I went on my mission and I thrived and I had beautiful experiences and, and everything about it. But then when I got home, I entered this completely phase that I was not prepared for. And I remember going up to Utah State and I had arranged to be a roommate with one of my um, just friends from the mission. And then he goes and gets engaged, which is pretty common. And so I ended up not knowing the people I moved in with. And I just remember laying in the bed, staring at the ceiling, thinking, what's next? I don't, I don't even know what to do next because it, it all been outlined. I'd done my mission and the next thing was marriage. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Um, and I just felt I started to enter a depression and I, I, I was pretty depressed. Even when Molly met me, I was super depressed and I didn't really tell people it was evident in how I acted and how I behaved, but I never told people why. And it was really all that same sex attraction and how I was dealing in that narrative I was battling in my head. Um, because after I never really dated, I never, I don't, did I even date you really? I mean, we dated, but I don't, we went out on dates, but would you say we dated? I thought we were dating. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because like we'd go on dates, but it's like, um, I would just hang out. It was more just hanging out. Like I had lots of friends and most of them were girls and stuff. And then, um, and then you kind of entered the, my social circle, but really, I think, I think for me, it was just like. You were just another one of those friends that was a girl that I loved. I mean, what is, what's your take on that? Uh, yeah, I wasn't very impressed with you when I first met you. It's true. Because I thought you were just an old man with a beard that couldn't get married. So, yeah, I had the post-mission beard, <laughs> which everyone has to do. And I can grow a much better beard now than I could mm -hmm. then, but it's true, right? And what, remember, I, tell everyone what I was doing when you first saw me. Oh Well, I don't know first, but we would have... Um, devotionals, I guess, Sunday night. And he would be jumping over the couches. We were at the Institute and we'd have doing it, it high was, kicks. <laughs> <laughs> I, what's funny is like, obviously that is not typical, but yeah. And she, you, I, her first impression of me was like, what is this guy doing? Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that part. That was, yeah. No, but what made you? <laughs> well, so I don't know. I think really, I think I was supposed, we were supposed to be together. I really just felt like the Lord, I was, I, there was an attraction there and I, w I was impressed. What with were you the, attracted about? Well, I was impressed. You were a gospel doctrine teacher and I was impressed how you taught. You were well-spoken and I, I could tell you were gentle. Hmm. Um, and then I was attracted after he shaved the beard. He was much cuter. <laughs> and that's still true today. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, what? You have to have your beard every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> she does say I look 10 years older with it. That's yeah. 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 Well, and what's interesting is like when I met Molly, it's like, um, like I didn't have, um, like attraction is so, it's such an interesting thing. People, and I've heard this on your podcast and other people, like that's a big deal for for people who are in like mixed, mixed orientation marriages, you often say, well, are you attracted to me? And, and I've tried to think about like, what is, what does that mean? Like, what is attraction? Because are you, are you really saying, will you be able to have sex with me? Is, is that what you're talking about? Or is it about attraction? Because like, I remember the first time I really noticed Molly and it was in Sunday school, as a matter of fact. Um, and it was her smile. I remember seeing her smile and thinking that that was a beautiful smile and it, she just lit up with it. And, and that was it. It wasn't like maybe the next thought should have been, I should get her phone number or something like that. It wasn't, but it was just like, look that what a beautiful woman that is. And you were wearing the red dress with that white scallop thingy. Yeah. Anyway. So that to me was super um, monumental for me on that. But other than that, it was just, we were just friends and we dated, I was just saying quotes because I, uh, it was never like steady and stuff like that, but on and off for a long time. And I think you were much more engaged in it than I was, of course. I mean, we know now, but. Well, and when we talk about it now, and I'm aware of where you were at the time, mm -hmm. Like I had no idea. So I was, I, I thought you were interested in dating, but for some reason he, it was just weird. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get him to like, I chased him for years and, and we, we would be friends and then not be friends. Uh, he would kind of push me away, I guess. And, yeah. um, well, what was for me in my mind, it was just like, you were pretty, she was pretty bold. She still is bold. Thank, thankfully for that. We're a good pairing because we are not the same. Um, but she, she would come up and say like, uh, I remember, do you remember when we were at the Institute and I was like playing the piano and stuff like that. And she said, um, I feel like I'm a yo-yo and you have hold of the string. And, and then the conversation just kind of turned like, what, what are we doing here? And then, of course, in my, I'm just like, well, if I have fun with you, I'll keep going out with you. And if I don't, I'll stop. Like, I mean, it just seems so plain to me, but I realized that was super hurtful if you think about it. But I'm just like, yeah, yeah I mean, well, you just as long as we keep having fun, I'll keep going out with you and stuff. But that was it. And, and really what's happened is and what she was trying to communicate to me is the person who's least committed in a relationship has most the power. Because they're the ones who are, they don't, they don't care. They'll just go back and forth. And that committed one is trying to move it in another direction. But the one who's uncommitted is just like keeps pushing it off the rails. And so eventually, though, you just got brave and just said enough of this, right? Yeah, I finally, well, I still was, I still was very attracted, but I recognized that you weren't that we weren't going anywhere. So I just decided to start having fun with dating and kind of let you just hang out 
by, by the side of me, I guess. I know. And I, I still remember what's interesting is like, I didn't expect this, but so she just kind of moved on. And I'm like, whatever, you know, there's, I have a whole bunch of other friends. So I wasn't too worried, but I remember one day I was sitting in my apartment and I, the window was open. It was the summer during the summer quarter. And I hear Molly like laughing, he, he, he. And I'm like, what's going on? I step and look out the window and she's like getting piggybacked by some other guy. And I'm just like, who in the heck is that? You know, and all of a sudden I started feeling these feelings like I was not expected. You know, I was like, what's going on down there and stuff. And so I'm just like, well, you know, maybe I do like her. Should I do something? And so I started kind of doing the secret admire stuff and leaving notes and stuff to just kind of, she didn't know who it was, but, but eventually we got to where we, we, were dating and i remember like you asked me to if i would hold your hand like i didn't i didn't do any of that stuff so finally we're at a movie and she's like can i hold your hand and i'm like oh sure and i just like hand my hand over yeah so it really is a good thing that i'm tough skinned and i am very persistent because we really i mean i don't we just wouldn't have been here I mean, we were, it was just it's meant true. to be. <laughs> it is true. It is true. And then even our first kiss, like, it was awful. And I wouldn't have done it. If I had a brother-in-law who's like, how long have you been going out with this? And you haven't kissed her yet? Oh, my God. And so he got in my head. And so I remember, like, we were out. And I, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to kiss her. I got to kiss her. And so it was just awful. I just remember, like, oh, my gosh, that was so, so dumb. But, I, but the reason behind it was there's nothing behind it but social obligation. And so anyway, we dated on and off for a couple of years and stuff. And then eventually, really what made me propose to her was the spirit and Garth Brooks. I guess you could say that, but it was <laughs> it was silly. But I had a dream one night and in the dream, um, we were going up the canyon in, with a group of kids from the college and we got in an accident and our car rolled off the ravine wow. and landed upside down in the water. Wow. And in it, Molly died. And I just remember like trying so hard to like resuscitate her. And then the Garth Brooks song was playing in my head that was popular at the time. It said, if tomorrow never comes, will she know how much I loved her? And at that moment, I'm like, I think I, I think I love Molly. And, uh, and then everything went fast forward from there because what do you do at that point? Well, well, you ask her to marry and so we did. I asked her to marry me and we got married and and uh, we just did what married people do. Well, fast forward 15 years and I am. And we just do what married people do because at that point I was in counseling because I felt a disconnect. I, I didn't, we, it just wasn't, the relationship wasn't where I wanted it to be. So I thought I'd go to counseling to get some, maybe it was me. Is there something I can do to well, fix it? In my That's- mind. I'm yeah, like, that's honest. Uh, in my mind, I'm like, uh, well, I'll get married and these things will diminish. I, I mean, I never felt like they'd go away, but I thought they'll just diminish and I'll be able to cope with them and everything would be fine. No, that doesn't happen. And and it actually, I, I personally, for me, marriage made it worse. Um, my attractions were heightened. I went, Being sexually active, I think just totally changed things in my mind. And, and, and so for me, it didn't actually help that front, uh, which I thought it would. But because I had grown so used to just hiding things and keeping that, that I just, I just kept it secret. And, um, and we, I, I didn't really, I, I, my personality is more like a straight line. And, and so I just kind of go on 
on cruise and I just keep going straight. And it's not like I have these, I, at that point, kind of the depression kind of went away a little bit because I just, I don't know. And I just kind of went straight, but Molly is more like up Mm -hmm. and down and up and down. And when she was down, I'd be like, what's going on here? Because I'm like, but really what it came down to is we didn't communicate. I thought I was communicating. I thought I was super open about everything. But the problem is, is if you're only open about the stuff that don't, that doesn't matter, then you're just talking about stupid stuff. I wouldn't, I was not opening up with her and sharing it and she could sense it. She sensed it in our marriage. We weren't as close. And that's why you did start going to see a counselor. But was that after you discovered my same-sex attraction? No. No, no, it no, because before. my counselor invited you to our session and yes. you told my counselor well, that you were attracted to men. Yes, so this is the problem. I did not tell Molly, obviously, before we got married, because I did have the belief that it would just diminish and it would be it would go away and it would be not an issue. Well, um, at one point in, in our marriage, Molly discovered I was um, same-sex attracted because she um, caught me watching gay pornography. And at that moment, I thought it was all revealed. Everything was discovered and she knew it all, which that's so silly to even think that because like what was, I mean, she just saw this little moment, but in my mind, it was just like the veil was opened and she knew it all. Well, she didn't. And she, I do remember you said, take care of this. And that's when I went to a bishop for the very, very first time. And I told him everything. And let me just pause for a minute and tell you about that experience because I am so grateful for that bishop. And I don't think he, it was 20 years ago, really. Well, 15 or whatever. And I walked in and I told him, and the only thing he did was stand up from going around his desk and come to me and give me a big hug and tell me he loved me. And I needed that so much. I was not expecting that because in my mind, being gay was sinful. And uh, he didn't treat it that way. And I just hope everybody knows that. Being gay is a sin. Having sexual attractions to other people of your same gender is not a sin. Now, there are sinful behaviors that we have to deal with, but it's not a sin. And I'm so grateful that Bishop let me sit in his office and be that trusted, loving person that I could confide in because I needed to let somebody in and not feel sinful because of that. Now, we did talk about the pornography and all the other stuff, and we worked through that. And, you know, we, I, I met with him for a long time. And another thing he did is uh, shortly after that, I was called as, he called me as his executive secretary. And I sat there thinking, that, well, there are two things, the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. Um, the devil told me he's trying to keep you close, <laughs> but the angel told me that he loves you. And, and, and the Lord, I'm, I'm just like, why? Like, I don't know. It was so affirming, really, that not only did I just tell him that I'm gay, but that, and now I, I got a calling. And, but it was such a beautiful moment for me because I can be super social, but when I don't feel trust and, and stuff, I, I pull back. But now I'm an executive secretary and I have to call people and make appointments and stuff. And the amount of compassion and love I felt, it was I was unprepared for that, um, to be part of that and to just love these people in the ward. And I wasn't even the bishop, you know, 
But anyway, I'm so grateful for that and for him for taking that time to do that. Um, anyway, that that's just kind of a little side topic. But so I told the bishop, but so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, Molly knows, but the problem is we didn't talk at all about it. And so she knows something wrong and she's, and you should, you went to see a counselor and then tell him. So he invited me to come. You need to tell it from and your perspective because well, it was know. way different from mine. He he asked you something, and I just remember hearing you say, I'm attracted to men. In the session. We're sitting in the there. Session, right. We have one of our kids in a car seat, and he asked me some questions, and I, yeah, I just said, well, I'm attracted to men. And, and you I didn't no do a thing. I didn't, but I didn't react to it either. Inside, I'm freaking out, but I did so not. how did you feel inside, though? Like well, on the outside, because in my mind, she already knew. So this wasn't yeah. a revelation. This was the revelation. And I look back at this and I'm like, I never, ever would have told her this way. I thought she knew. And I carried that burden for years. But we'll talk about that in a minute because I want people to hear how you felt in that moment. Uh, well, I just remember on the ride home, I sat in the back seat with the baby and I, the whole time I just thought, what did he just tell me? Like, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like what on earth? What? You know, I just, yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm on the opposite <laughs> side of the spectrum going like, oh my goodness, that felt so good to like vocalize that to another person type of a thing. And I had no idea that I had just basically pulled the rug out from under you. Yeah. So I think, like I said, after I scraped myself back up off the floor, I just, I, I'm a fixer. And I just thought, okay, we have to deal with this. And I read everything I could. Um, I just found all the information I could, any groups, any support groups, uh, people. Now we have podcasts. Like I just, back then, yes, there was like my focus is too much. And I, I, she did go I, from zero to 60. <laughs> Do you think your college degree, and I don't think we mentioned this in family and human development, gave you a foundation here to sort of, or do you think that's just the way you're wired? Yeah, your I, degree I would say, is an insight into your, just how you're wired to understand these sort of things. Yeah, I would say my personality got me the degree, but <laughs> maybe it is because uh, of those things. She, go she, back to that car. I mean, talk to... And maybe you'll do this. Just talk to your younger self <laughs> 15 years later, what you would say to yourself now that you've been on this road for 15 years. This is kind of you talking to spouses that are just becoming aware Boy. of this. I guess I would say, um, because, you know, it was probably a year after we got married that I probably found the first sign of pornography. And then every once in a while I would find more and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't, I, I had no idea what to do with it. And so I didn't it's do honest. anything. That's honest. So I think that the, the best advice is probably to say something and to not just sweep it under. I was doing what Scott was doing, sweep it under the rug, you know? Um, so I think I would say, you got to start talking as soon as you see it, it. You just have to talk. You can't. And I, I want to chime in talk. here a little bit because Talking is hard. It's so easy to say that. Yeah. It's easy to say, just talk about it. And, but when you have been raised hiding the whole, your whole life, to say, just talk about it is, is Herculean in some ways. And the reason I want to say this is because, I mean, fast forward to just, you know, this last year, Molly posed a question to me 
where she just said, what is your relationship with honesty? And I wasn't prepared to answer it at that moment. And I wanted some time to think about it, which I did. And when I was ready, I, we got back and I said, let me talk. I'm ready to answer. And I said, my relationship with honesty is fear-based. And the reason I think about that is because my entire life, I have been spending all my energies in hiding this because I want, I want it to be accepted. I want it to be loved. And I believed that if people knew this about me, that I would be rejected. And I think this is a common narrative that we create in our head, those who deal with um, the same-sex attraction. And, and, and because of that, that we carry that with us everywhere we go. And so it's easy to say, talk about it, but it's hard to do it. And that's because you have to be vulnerable. You have to open up yourself. The only way through it is through it. You can't go around it. You can't skirt it. You have to go through it. And we're taught that the truth shall set you free. And when you think those phrase that's so, so, so simple, the truth shall set you free. But what does that mean? What is truth? And a lot of times when I heard that, I'm like, that just means, you know, the, the truthfulness of the gospel and stuff like that. But in my case, it was the truth. It was honesty. I had to let Molly in or else we couldn't get there. Like, it's like, um, and it took years. It took years. So this is, this is a long time. And, and so I just hope that people can be brave enough to, to be able to just say the thing that scares you the most to somebody you love. Because saying it and getting it out there gives somebody the opportunity to love you. Otherwise, the narrative wins. And I don't want the narrative to win. And, uh, and the narrative in most cases is false. And, and, so, and so I agree 100% with what Molly's saying. But I just want to just throw out some encouragement or something to those that are wondering, should I tell my mom? Should I tell my wife? Should I tell my friend? Um, I can't tell you when it's right. And it doesn't have to be the world. But I think it's really wise to bring someone in because otherwise it's just you and your narrative and the adversary and um, bring someone in and change those odds. And when you do that and you show that love and they can show that love to you and support you, so much changes, so much changes. That shame lightens like it physically leaves, and, and that's interesting. I mean, I still get shame whiplash is what I call it every once in a while because you'll be sitting there and, and you think, I am, I feel so good. And then all of a sudden something happens and wham, you're just put right back into your shame habits and patterns. But anyway, I think um, being truthful and honest and really letting Molly in, it, it reminds me of the time when Molly and I were having a discussion. And because my whole life, my belief has been, that all the problems that we have in my life and in our marriage is because I'm gay. It didn't matter what it was. My mind would go there. And when we would argue, and I can't even remember what we would argue about, but when we would argue, in my head, it was because I'm gay. 
And there was one time where we were we were having a discussion and she said a phrase that stopped me dead in the tracks. And I don't even think she was there was she was just saying it. But she says, I don't care that you're gay. And then she followed it by just and I use this flippantly, but just put the toilet paper on the, the right way. That's not what it was about, but it was it felt that way. And I had to just my world stopped. That was huge for me because when she said, I don't care that you're gay. I think I said, what? You don't care that I'm gay? Because all this time I was blaming the fact that I was gay for everything. And now she just told me she didn't care. And I'm like, what is happening here? But it was huge because I finally gave myself permission to say, oh, all I have to do is put the toilet paper on the right way and move on. And it was glorious and it was wonderful. I, I mean, how, what was your reaction to that? Because I don't think it was as big of a moment for you as, as it was for no, me. No, it wasn't. And I was, um, I was surprised at your reaction that you really thought that I cared so much about you being gay. Because you, what you really want, you really thought I thought it would go away. I did. And I, and I didn't think it would go away. Because she dived so much into... <laughs> In like, here's five talks I read and here's a book and da, 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 da. And it was like overwhelming to me. I thought really what was happening was she was like, we can make this go away. We can do all this, all this yeah. stuff. But it wasn't that. I totally misread that. Yeah. She didn't care about that. She cared about me and she cared about us. Well, and I think to me, if there's a problem or an issue, like it, it's okay to recognize that. But then you can learn about it and try to change things. I think when we learn about things, become aware of stuff. Um, that's when life kind of changes. You see things differently and you can do things differently. Um, yeah. She's so good at that. And I am not, I felt like she was hitting me on the head with it. Yeah. He would not, I'd bring things up and I thought, oh my gosh, he did. He's not like, he doesn't want to talk about God. <laughs> no, it's or, true. You, like, you would bring up things and I would just, I would just really pull back because I mm -hmm. felt like, first of all, defensive. like, I just don't like, this is. And I would get offended by it, and I she would just be so involved in it. But I was I was just really off base, and I had to get to that point. And I and I think that question about honesty helped me get there. And I think about the that moment when you said um, I didn't care that you didn't care that I was gay. That was so huge because um, I was able to let go of that. And the other thing is is like because I did not tell her for years, she would use that. And I, I, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but she would kind of use it as a weapon. Well, you didn't tell me and I didn't get a choice when, and, and, and it's true. I'm like, you didn't have a choice. I just, I asked you, Mary, you said, yes. What would you have done? We don't know that. And, and so I would always, she would bring up things like that. And I would just, it was heavy. It was this huge load that I had to carry because it was my fault. I did not tell her. And I remember not too long ago in a therapy session, eventually my therapist just said, you have to let that go. Like she's known for how long now? She has a choice. She can leave. She doesn't have to be here. So she's had her choice. So you need to let that go. And I, that seems so black and white now, but I did not give myself permission to finally just say, you know what? I don't need to carry that burden anymore. That's Molly's issue. Molly has to work that out. And I did go back and tell you, 
Uh, and I don't know how you accepted that because you're like, because I think it. Oh, it, yeah, I was angry. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you? Well, because I think in some ways you're like, but I didn't. Yeah. And, and by, <laughs> but by me saying, um, it's now yours to carry, um, it, it shifted the balance a little bit. Right. It was right. It helped you. It was huge <laughs> helpful for me because I realized I was, it was holding me back and holding me down. But now if she brings it up, I can say that must really hurt. And I bet that is hard. And what can I do? You know, how can, you know, I can say it that way. I, it kind of ticks you off still, but I think it changes things because I'm not, I can feel compassion for her. I can do that. But it's just because I didn't tell her, I didn't change her agency. I have, I didn't give you, cause you can, and that's another thing I think is important. You're not, she's not here as a victim. She's not here because, and I don't want to say this. So you, I want you to say this, but you're here by choice, right? And so at that point, you've chosen to stay. So she has had the, she's had the opportunity now. And th- and that's how I feel about it. And that's been a huge thing. So what, what do you think about that? Um, well, I, I was going to say that I think the last 15 years, really, I've just been angry and not, tr- did not trust him, did not feel safe. Um, I, I think, and, and I was doing everything in my power to, to help myself so that I was emotionally and mentally healthy, but I wanted him to do all the things I had done because I felt like I've done a lot of growing and I didn't feel like I could get him to grasp what I was handing him. Like I handed him everything and he just wouldn't take it. And I think finally, I I don't know if I, I, I just needed to see that he was willing to do something and, and he, he, it took him 15 years really. To have really right to have you be willing to see in really. my mind, I think yeah. In my mind, I was doing something, but I wasn't, and and I think I had was just pacifying myself with that. But really, I felt like Molly was being overbearing and controlling and stuff. And until I made the choice um, to say, there's something there. There's something there and, and let go of that. Um, I don't even know how to describe it, but the pride maybe is the best way to say it of, um, and, and really listen to the counsel and wisdom that Molly had is when I could accept myself for being gay. And, and then also I could realize how powerful we are together in this whole thing. And that's where I was talking about like that truth, being vulnerable enough for me to open it up and really just talk and share with her how I'm feeling, change things. And, and no longer was Molly, like she was seriously casting her pearls before swine is how it was. I was not taking anything, but once I got to the moment where I could just like get past all that and just look at, at what she was giving me, she was giving me herself she was accepting me for what I was and saying, I'm willing to go on this journey with you. And when I really recognized that, I'm like, wow. And, and was vulnerable enough to say, I'm going to let you in and I'm just going to share it all because that's the trust. That's the trust she needed and the safety that she needed. And even though I wasn't 
um, overtly being, it wasn't like uh, it was, but it was there. It was there. So. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's a weird place to be, to be the spouse um, because I'm not the gay one, but it has, it's a huge impact on me. And I don't think, I don't know that he recognized. I don't know that you really recognize that you were impacting me. There's a, um, I've it's heard easy this to from, think it's just my, problem. yeah, your problem. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, uh, Richard Rohr. He's a, a spiritual writer, author. He said, if we do not trans- transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. And that's what he was doing because he wasn't, you weren't trying to work through your pain. Really. You were just passing it off onto me, <laughs> I think. So, and, and I really just needed him to start healing and um, start looking at things and figuring things out and doing things differently, I guess. I needed to know that you had the ball and you were doing something with it so that I could kind of let go of it because I'm not the type that wants to let go of things. No, I, I just, I need to see progress. She wanted and, yeah. me. Yeah. Molly, let me ask a this is a really important part of the po- the whole podcast is great, but this relationship with you, I think, is really helpful for other people that are working through a similar journey. And you give them hope because you're together. It's You've been on this road for 15 years, being out 28 years total. Talk about the anger. You said, this was, I was angry. Was that angry at God for getting you in this marriage? Was it angry at Scott? for being gay. Well, talk about that. Cause I think a lot of straight spouses probably feel anger and talk a little bit about how you got rid of that anger. Did Scott do that for you? Did a therapist do that for you? Did you do that? Did the savior, is it a combination of everything? Cause there's probably a lot of people that need that feel that way and need to, and want to stay in their marriage, but need some, some skills on how to move through that. Yeah. I think my rock was probably that, I I had gone to the Lord and just said, look, I I want to marry Scott. And if he asked me, I want to say yes. And is that the right decision? And I had the impression that that was what I should do. And if I did not have that, uh, I mean, that's really what kind of stabilizes me because I really felt like this is where I should be. Um, I think when I felt the anger was not to God at all, really. I mean, I sometimes wonder what you think I can handle, you know, <laughs> God, do you think I can handle this? <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I don't That's know what honest. you were thinking, <laughs> but, um, the anger was really towards Scott. So angry that I felt deceived. Um, I did feel like I didn't have a choice. I wasn't get all, given all the information that I should have been given so that I could really make a wise choice. Um, and I just, I did not trust him. Um, and I, I i have been, it's a miracle, truly, because I've been angry for the past 15 years. And it's only really been since um, I just decided we got COVID. And that was actually a blessing for us. I was in quarantine and then Scott was in quarantine. And I, what, during that quarantine, I was able to... Um, I'd always wondered how I like, I I needed space away from him. And like, I didn't want to, like, I I needed a little separation, but I didn't, I couldn't do it. Like I wasn't going to leave. I wasn't going to ask him to leave. And I didn't know how we could do that. And so COVID did that for us because we were in two separate parts of the home. 
for a few weeks. And after I'd had those few weeks and I had had a chance to like, what is it I really need from Scott? What do I want in this marriage? You know, what are my boundaries? Cause I'm, I decided I'm not doing this anymore the way we've been doing it. Like I'm done doing it the way we've been doing it. When she came to me with this revelation at first, I was like, what? Well, I said to him, cause I said, I need more time. I said, this has been so good for me to be away from the emotion, to be away from you and to have clear thoughts. And I want, I need more time. And I want the, this next month, like I need to extend this for a month or so, so that I can, so I can keep working through things and have the space I just need to wrap my head around and figure out what it is I want and how I'm going to go about getting it. (laughs) So keep talking, Molly. So just keep talking how every how things change because I sense things. This was the beginning of things changing. Yes. Oh, and it's Talk amazing. I I came to him with this therapeutic separation. <laughs> There's so much online. <laughs> and she'll find it all. I, <laughs> so you're I had to tweak it. <laughs> you're in a therapeutic separation in your own home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to tweak it a little bit, but um, so I just came to him and I said, "Look, I'm taking this time." to figure it out. I, I hope that you will take this time. I don't want you to sit down here watching Netflix and Hulu. And I, I, I want you to take the time. Um, so keep talking, talk about. Um, and, and so we would have, I, I made a calendar where like, really like you have the kids Monday, Wednesday and Friday, and I have them Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday. And, um, we won't see each other. You're with the kids on your day and I'm with the kids on my day. And then every once in a while we would get together. Like we would have, you know, can you, or can you talk? Like we would make dates to talk. And it was during those times that we talked. And that's when I told him that I didn't really care that he was gay. Um, or what's your relationship with honesty that, it was so painful, so painful to open up and be vulnerable. I, I'm amazed at how painful that was. Like, I just didn't want to do it, but I think I forced myself to, to it's, be it was honest. Hard, not just hard for me to open up, but for Molly to share. Yeah, it was hard. But we just kept doing that. Well, and I told myself, look, I'm not going, I'm in this. I'm, I've never, ever felt like I, I'm in on this marriage. I want us to be here forever. And I'm like, I can, I'm not going to just let this, I could sit here and watch Netflix the whole time, catch up on everything, but I'm not going to do that. I'm, this is going to be, this is Molly's choice, but I'm going to invest in this. And it was, it was awesome. I, it was awesome. Yeah. And then I would have to say that. And we saw each other quite a bit, by the way, just right. Did we every once in a while we did, <laughs> we did. but then I finally decided, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to, for us to move back in together and, and work on this. And I think by that time, Scott was a little scared. We were all kind of nervous. It was kind of like you were doing it for the first time. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I, I haven't been able to forgive him for 15 years and I've tried to and tried to, but I think it was really seeing that he was willing to actually put forth effort that I could see. I needed to be able to see the effort, whether that was going to group or whatever. Uh, I just needed to see some action from him. And I just, I, I've been able to forgive him. Like, I just don't feel the same as I felt 
Um, in December, I just don't feel the same. Uh, I feel like he really is in this with me. And he's, he's, I think he's just realized how amazing that there's lots of good help out there. Like going to group, like I tried to get you to do that and you did not want to do it. And once he finally started going, he loved it. He loved it. And I think that's true with uh, maybe other things. I don't know. We've gone to North Star conferences and, but I think you've seen the value of it. And I don't know how you were able to kind of give in and, and kind of move through this process with me, but that's all I really needed. So you wanted Scott to do things that just help Scott be better, yes. to be better, to understand this better, to have better skills, to be skills that would help your marriage. And some of the frustration you felt like Scott just wasn't doing the things you'd yes. like him to do. And then when he started to do things like the group, we haven't really talked about that group. You can, if you want to, but mm -hmm. you just, that sent a signal to you that Scott's committed to the marriage and is willing to just sort of develop better skills and a better framework to make this marriage work. And also we were kind of words into your mouth, but just for our listeners to understand. Well, and also that he was willing to open up that we were actually talking. It was so healing to actually talk about things and to bring up things that were scary. And like I had questions and Scott said, okay, hey, if you're going to ask the questions, you, you need to make sure that you're willing to hear the answers because they were hard questions that I needed mm -hmm. answers to. So this relationship with honesty was a great question. And that to oh. me was a great question in your marriage. All of us it need to ask huge. that in our marriage and our lives is what's your relationship with honesty? And you recognize yours was fear-based. Yeah. And I sense in your marriage now it's not. There may still be difficult questions and difficult conversations, but it's well it and, seems like there's a foundation here to be able to have those conversations that are healing and helpful and increase the connection through vulnerability. Yeah. I think we've done it for so long, the old us, that that we do, it's easy to slip back into, uh, oh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let him come to me. Um, so we do. We have to remind each other. Yeah, um, yeah that, there are times where I'll yeah. be like, because I can pick up when she's starting to feel like Pull I can away. tell she's pulling away or something. And and so now I'll say, uh, I'll, be, I'll be like, you know, I'm recognized this. You need to own those feelings and come to me with that. And we would never have had those types of conversations before. I think that that's been huge for us. And just being able to feel like she was now a partner in this with me um, was just monumental for me. I just love the fact that she's together with me on this journey and that, that it didn't matter if I, I was I gay. think there's reasons like I look at people like Ty Mansfield, I think he's amazing. And I'm like, I just think there are people in this world that have certain, and I'm just going to call them challenges because I don't know what else to call them, that have them so that they can help others. Like, and I think that that's what I want. I think that's what Scott can do as well. But you have to, you have to heal from your own wounds to be able to help anyone else. And in order to do that, you have to really kind of look at it, face those things. And that's what I needed you to do. Well, and I think that call, that comes into the point where, where I just would just plead with the Lord and say, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? And uh, with this, because I'm finally at a point where I'm like, okay, this is, this is me. 
I love who I am. I love all the aspects about it. Um, okay, I'm gay. Um, who cares? You know, like, so what would you have me do with this? What this is a gift I've been given. What would you have me do with this? And my answer back, which was very profound, was like, I can use you, but I can't do it from a place of secrecy. And so I'm like, okay, what do I do with that now? And so at first I just felt like that meant just telling the people I was closest to, my siblings, my children. But then as soon as I started doing that, um, the circle just got bigger and bigger. And, um, And then eventually it's just like, I can't take the, every time you tell someone, especially when it's new, you're just like, it takes every ounce of your energy to come up with it. And you have this pit in your stomach and you have to like go just throw up or go to the bathroom or something because you're just working toward doing it. And if we tell one person this week and two people (laughs) the next week, and I'm like, at this point, if the Lord really wants me to help, needs my help. And I can't do it from a place of secrecy. How in the heck am I going to do all this? Like, there's not enough weeks in the my lifetime remaining to be able to tell everyone. And and so, you know, that's part of why we're here today. But at the, the, the but the point is, is that I want to do. We want to do whatever we can to show people that there are options. Like the world has paths predefined for if you're gay, here's your path. <laughs> And I'm not saying what your path should be, but I want to at least be an example of a path. And I remember we, we've, we've talked with our stake president and our bishop just kind of about this journey and that um, I'm gonna, we're going to start telling more people about it. And my bishop asked me an interesting question. He said, are you happy? And I'm like, I am happy. I'm so happy. Like, um, I feel like I'm living what I want to be. I'm living my truth. You know, people say that. And, and I, I'm just so happy with that. And, and now it's like, okay, I want to be an example. I want to show, cause what a difference it would be for me if I had been a youth in my ward to have seen, well, there's brother so-and-so and he's gay hmm. and, and he, look how happy he is. That would have totally changed in my mind. And so it's just like if I can just be an example, I don't I don't need to be I don't need to be just like overt. I just need to be there. But I but I need to be there and known because like there's that quote that we said, and I'm just gonna paraphrase it, but it says like our greatest fear is to be known and not loved, and our greatest desire is to be known and loved. But you can't get there unless you're known. And so you have to be brave enough to be known. And so I'm willing to take that risk. I'm not perfect. There are so many things that I am just subpar at. But I can love someone. And I can be my true self. And I can let people know that that I'm, I'm here and I, I can be for you. I can be an example. I can be whatever. I don't know what I need to be, but I can do that. There's that's really good stuff. I'd love to comment just on what you just said. We wrote this down before because Scott shared with me, what would you have me do? That's coming from such a point of humility and such a point of, I just want to do what you want me to do. And the Lord saying back to you, I can't use you from a place of secrecy. 
And I think, you know, you're just in the perfect time in your marriage, in your life to share this story. You've done so much hard work privately, individually, with therapists, with friends, with yourselves to be able to share this story in a way that's really helpful for others. It's raw, it's authentic, it's vulnerable, it's painful. Mm -hmm. You're being incredibly honest here in the podcast, both of you, (laughs) about the complexities of this world, but it's a beautiful love story. Um, And I think it just helps other people. Two more points. As I talk in my book, um, and I've mentioned this a few times on page whatever, 260-something, I talk about the first time I did a podcast with someone in a mixed orientation marriage, and I just got a rebuke of the spirit during the podcast because I thought, because that's all I heard about in society, that all those marriages failed. And listeners, I just learned that there are incredibly strong, wonderful, all the words we'd use for marriages like yours. It's just, it's a different marriage, but often those marriages the skills that you've been kind of forced to learn because the complexities of your marriage have actually give you the skills to have a great marriage that some marriages never develop. I'm not a marriage and family therapist, but I'm reckoning the work you've done is terrific. And um, it gives us a template for all of us to do the kind of things you've done. And you know vulnerability, you know communication, you know honesty, you know how to have those hard discussions that a lot of us just can't have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm speaking for listeners in general that it's hard for us to do those sometimes. I also like the idea that, you know, one guy mentioned to me in Elder's Quorum when his wife is going through a hard time. It wasn't around this issue, but the Lord says, you can't be their savior. You just have to be their spouse. (laughs) And I think one of the things you've both done a good job is you haven't been the savior for each other or the therapist for each other. You know, you've got these other people in your marriage to help your marriage work, therapy is great. And the sa- role of the Savior is great. But I think you've brought all these parties into your marriage to make your marriage work um, and has given you the skills to be vulnerable and honest. And I write in my book, you know, I just, I give all couples, you know, your age, a lot of grace because I, even though it's, Molly has a right to be angry that mm-hmm. you didn't talk to her about this in the dating process. I do give grace because not many people did. And you rightly thought this would just diminish. I actually like that word. Mm -hmm. But you were honest that it didn't. It actually increased. Um, And so that just kind of keeps you and, you know, the spiral of just, I can't talk about this. And and Molly sounds like she can sense something early on in the marriage. It just doesn't feel right about this marriage. And I think you've done a really terrific job but it's been a long road. But younger people, I th- one of the things I really like, and I wrote this in the book, is, you know, talk about this in the dating process. It may not be the first date, but it probably needs to be before you get engaged mm-hmm. um, for the spouse that's not straight. Um, and each, your straight spouse, you know, everybody that needs to just talk about everything that's part of the reality of their life in the dating process, we can't just present our what we think the spouse needs to see to marry us, this sort of the front of our face and all the perfect self for Mm -hmm. six months until we get to the temple and they get to know the real self. We have to be real in the dating process. And if we're not straight, we need to talk to our partner about that. And then that partner just can take all that information as they're receiving revelation. And some would say, well, that's not going to be my path. But some might say that is my path. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and we've talked about this, and it may give the straight spouse permission to open up about really complicated stuff in their background. Mm-hmm. And that vulnerability brings them together in a beautiful love story, which you're experiencing. And so I do like the way you said, don't think our marriage isn't a wonderful marriage or not your potential path. Um, society sometimes says to be authentic, this is, you know, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. And I like to, listeners, don't make someone else's story your story or what society yeah. is telling you you should do. You need to work with your heavenly parents and receive personal revelation. And you need to get yourself in the very best spot that Scott's in of sort of the all the internalized homophobia and shame and self-loathing that where you are right now are younger Non-straight members get there earlier, I think, because they can just accept this. You've seen this change when you talk about the generations. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a credit to, you know, where our society's moved, where our church has moved. But you can get to this spot pre-marriage where you really are your personal best and you've accepted this part about you. And you've just like Scott says, this is a great part about me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, This is who I am. And I'm, I'm, I want to share that. It's no longer something I want to keep secret. So younger people can do that, but do that from a place of strength then. And then it helps you to write your own story. But listening to all these stories, I think helps you write your own story. And that's why this podcast doesn't just have one type of story on it. You know, it's a pretty broad platform and other platforms out there just to hear a variety of stories so that you can hear the very best things to help make write your story. Mm-hmm. So those are just some thoughts. I'll turn it back to, we're kind of at the cl- typical closing mark, but if you've got more you'd like to share, we don't need to stop right now. Do you have anything else you want to add? Um, I guess what I would like to share is that um, I think I've, like I, Sometimes I sometimes I freak myself out really because I feel like I'm in a good place, but sometimes I recognize like this. Oh my gosh, this is such a huge risk, um, and and the adversary works on all of us. Um, but I've really tried to pray that God will help me navigate this, um, and I feel like uh, I, I really feel like that we can all help others, but. You don't have to be a straight spouse of a, a gay husband um, to to receive help from me, I guess. If there's anything I can say, I just think there's all sorts of spouses out there that haven't trusted their spouse or they feel like they've been betrayed or anger. And I just think that those are all, we all have those emotions at times. And I think... It doesn't necessarily matter our situation. I think we can help each other. Um, and um, one thing I've had a hard time with or that I've figured out is that when Scott was telling, started telling the story and he was telling our children and I'm just sitting there listening to him talk, I just thought, I just, I don't want to just sit here because I don't want people to think that I'm, and you kind of mentioned this before, that I'm just here because I have no better place to go. That's a great point. So I just, I, at one point I turned around to my kids and said, I want you kids to know that mom has made the choice to stay here with dad. Um, you know, as long as we're committed to one another, uh, um, I'm going to, I'll happily stay here with dad and work through this, support him and he can support me. Um, uh, I also 
really feel like, um, like it's important for me to trust the Lord. Um, I think I don't understand everything. And in Proverbs, it says, um, Proverbs uh, chapter three, verse five through six, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So I, I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I really just have to trust. <laughs> I just have to stay close to uh, the Lord and uh, be open to inspiration and to direction. And I just really feel like I just need to trust um, in the Lord and that this is where I want to be. I want to be on the covenant path. Truly. Um, I know where I want to, I know where I want to go and I'm learning what I have to do to get there. Yeah. I mean, everything she said, I just have to second. I, I, I just love that my whole life I've been able to feel the spirit and the Lord's presence in my choices. And um, whenever I reached a fork in the road, um, I was given the just powerful and undeniable um, impressions that have just led me to where I am today. And I truly feel like, um, I mean, the first commandment is to love God, and the second one is like unto it, and that's to love your neighbor as thyself. And we need to do so better at that. And I feel like the brethren are teaching that from above. But where we need it is from the wards up. Like, I feel like sometimes it's like, it, it's not trickling down. There's this gap somehow. And even though we hear it, to actually do it is harder. And so like in our wards, um, that that's that's where these connections can happen and if if we can just extend and love people it doesn't matter where they are on their path love them welcome them and and just be there and i know and and what's funny is like i say that from a perspective of somebody who's gay but it's for everyone. It's like, be compassionate. And when we're sitting in Sunday school and somebody says something that maybe makes you upset or doesn't quite resonate with you, just think about the other people who's sitting in the room that maybe that did resonate with, or, you know, just let follow the spirit, love one another. And when we keep doing that, it's amazing the gifts that we're going to just bring each other. And, and, and I just, I feel so passionate about that. We just need to love each other and welcome each other with open arms. And, and I can do that. And I mean, uh, in Sunday in, in Elders Quorum, we were there and the teacher's a new teacher, doesn't know the ward very well. And so he said, hey, I'd like to just have us go around the room. How many times have we done this? But he took it a step further. And he said, I want you to share your name or your work, a little bit about your family. And then I'd like you to share maybe... Um, a, a challenge or a struggle or a success that you've had so that we can try to get to know each other. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, you know, like, am I going to, am I going to say this? Am I going to say this? I could feel it. And it went around the room. And finally, when it got to me, I just thought, you know, I'm just going to say it. And I stood up and I introduced myself, said who I am. Most of them, they all know me. 
but then I ended and I shared the fact that, um, that I'm same sex attracted. And, um, I was, I was surprised at the reaction I got. I was surprised, but not surprised. I, I had people come up after and give me hugs and texts that I got. And, and it was, it was marvelous. And I know that there are some who probably were that were a little uncomfortable in that and others who maybe were so happy about that because maybe they're struggling with something, but that's what it's all about to be in this ward family. And, and one of the beauties of, I read somewhere that one of the things about being in a ward that's so unique in our church, most people find their congregations by like-mindedness. They kind of hunt and find the, the, the congregation they feel comfortable with. Our church doesn't do that. We just say, if you live here, go together. And it creates this, this unique interaction with people of varying beliefs and, and uh, political views and all this stuff. And we have to learn how to get to learn to work together and love each other in spite of all that. What a beautiful arrangement that we can have this opportunity to just learn to love someone regardless and and if I can try to help lead that charge a little bit, then um, then I'm I'm happy for it. Our our heavenly Father loves us so much, and He just wants us to have that same love for each other. And I just pray that I'll be able to do that um, for the rest of my life, and to let people see me how I am, and hopefully they can see them how they are. And when we open this beautiful kaleidoscope of people that are surrounding us that will just be just God's family. And it's marvelous. So anyway. It's great, Scott, Molly. Just you two are just terrific. You're real. A lot of, uh, it's just, you're real. You're open. You're committed to the gospel. You're committed to each other. And, um, this podcast, the things you shared help a lot of people. I recognize, I'm thinking about just the trauma that you both felt. You felt some bet- betrayal trauma. Um, you felt trauma just, you know, being gay um, and being alive and during this time. And I, and your traumas sometimes interact, but I think that's complex. But I think one of the things that's beautiful about your story is you figured out a way to unwind that from each other. And even though those traumas, you know, your betrayal trauma particularly may come from Scott, it's you've figured out a way to work through that and keep the common goals of your marriage and everything together. And it's not easy to do that. I'm not a therapist, Mm -hmm. but you've taught us things that help others that have sort of have this complex relationship with each other where there's pain and there's good and there's common goals. But I think you've done a great job of just navigating your road and it's interesting to me that you're 28 years in your marriage, but it's kind of, it just been in the last year that it's been the right time to, to hit this. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because it was the right time. And, you know, so, but I think you talking about it potentially helps others have better tools to take this on earlier. Um, so. Because, yeah. because you're doing, I can use you. I can use you, but I can't use from a place of secrecy. So I think one of the, and that's for both of you, it takes courage for both of you to do this, but it's um, a way to help other people significantly as they listen to your story. I also love that you came out on Elders Quorum. I had a prior guest who talked about teaching a fifth Sunday and 
and being real vulnerable, having same-sex attraction, and then having a vulnerability hangover. It was really hard to go to church the next day. Mm-hmm. Because, and maybe you have that when you tell couples your story, and then you wonder, what's my yeah, next yeah. interaction going to be happen. with them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he taught me that for those of you that are vulnerable, or those of you that are around some it's just been vulnerable, they need you to continue to keep the conversation going. They've just kind of invited you in, mm-hmm. in a real vulnerable moment, like an elder's come spontaneously, not planned in mm-hmm. your case. <laughs> and I love all the texts you got and support, but we need to continue to, you know, the Scots in our lives that are vulnerable, they need, it's just human nature that they need to tell me how it's going or tell me more of your story. Or I'm, mm-hmm. it's not just a one-time text. Sometimes it's the ongoing interaction that just helps people know they belong and what they did was okay because their mind can go back to all those conversations they had. I actually like, it really took a lot of courage of you to talk about seeing your younger self in those videos at age five and age in that eighth grade picture. (laughs) And to me, that's just respect for who you are. And that helps a lot of people to be so open, Scott, with how you felt seeing some of those earlier versions of yourself. And I think if you saw those years versions of yourself now, you would you love that younger self of you that you didn't like. Mm-hmm. And isn't that a wonderful place to be for all of us? Is then we recognize we're created as heavenly parents intended us to be. So anyway, this is a great podcast. We'll sign off Molly Hickson and Scott Hickson. You guys are great. <laughs> And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. 